What's this? Pillar or pedestal. It's a pedestal, right? Notice who's not on it. (laughs) Uh, I'm not a big fan of pedestals. I'm not a big fan of these things called pedestals. We tend to put people up on them. I've known people who have said to me, Sean, I look up to you. I look up to you as my example of what a Christian should be like. I look up to you as my example of what uh, a follower of Jesus should look like. And they want to put me up on a pedestal. And I'm here to tell you, don't. This is the last place I belong. But Sean, you are, you're supposed to be better than us. You're the, you're the pastor of the church. You're the preacher. You're the minister. You're supposed to be a little bit better than us, right? I, I cannot say... Like Paul said, follow my examples, I follow Christ because I'm not a very good follower. And that may come as a surprise to you, or that may, if you know me very well, that may not surprise you at all. I I cannot say with Paul, follow my examples, I follow Christ, because I'm still learning to follow Christ. I'm still learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I'm still learning and growing in my own faith. And I have my own doubts and I have my own fears and I have my own failures and my own struggles and my own weaknesses and my own sins. The last place that I deserve to be is up on somebody's pedestal. But Sean, you're supposed to be better. You're supposed to do better. Yeah, I know. You're not supposed to be like like the rest of us schlubs. I'm here to tell you I'm a schlub. Just like you. Imagine if somebody said to you, I want to put you up on a pedestal. What would you say? Don't put me on a pedestal. Don't look up to me. Don't look to me for your example. Don't look to me for your model. But Sean, you're the preacher. Yeah. Yes, I am. Not because I'm so great. Not because I'm so wonderful. Which I am. Um. And modest, humble too. Um, I'm a preacher because that's what God gifted me to do. That's the gifts that God gave me. And, and he called me into ministry. Not to be better than anybody else. Not to be uh, the model for anybody else. But God called me into ministry because these are the tools and the gifts that he's given me. And he's asked me to use them for his sake. To use them for his kingdom's purposes. I'm a schlub, folks. Just like you. But we do put people on pedestals, don't we? Whether we like it or whether we even realize that we're doing it or not, we do put people up on pedestals. It starts, I think, when we're little, when we're young. Who do, who's the first person that you put up on a pedestal? Your, your mom, your dad, your parents. You put your parents up on a pedestal. Wow, that's my dad. He's strong. That's my mom. She can do anything. That's my dad. He'll catch me. When I jump into his arms. And then someday something happens. And they catch you. Something happens and they don't come through. Something happens and your parents let you down. And they fall off that pedestal. You realize that your parents are not perfect. That they are fallible. That they fail. 
So we move on. We get a little bit older, and, and maybe we'll put somebody else up on a pedestal. Maybe it's a, a preacher or a teacher or a mentor, and you'll put a preacher or a teacher or a mentor up on a pedestal, and you'll look up to them and think, wow, they're so smart. They're so wise. They're so mature. I wish I could be more like them. And then something happens. Something will happen, and, and they get knocked off that pedestal. Because... They just don't quite measure up to your expectations. They fail you in some way, as all people will eventually do. So we get a little bit older, and then we start hearing about like people who are maybe politicians or, or celebrities, and, and they do all these wonderful things for people, and, and they really care about people, and, and they do wonderful things, and, and they do kind deeds and, and good acts of charity. They, they rescue kittens from, from trees and things like that. And so you just you put them on a pedestal. And then something happens and they get knocked right off. And you soon learn that you cannot put anyone up on a pedestal. You can't put anybody up on a pedestal because they're going to fail you. They're going to fail. Every human being is going to fail you someday. They're going to let you down. They're going to disappoint you. They're going to fail you. And that's hard. But I'm here to tell you, there is a man who lived who will never let you down. There is a man who lived who is the, the only one worthy of being placed on a pedestal. His name is Jesus. And he is pedestal worthy. In fact, he's more than pedestal worthy. He's throne worthy. In the book of Philippians, in chapter 2, Paul wrote this about Jesus. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is not just pedestal worthy, he is throne worthy. For he sits on heaven's throne, reigning at the right hand of the Father in power and majesty and glory. That is where Jesus is. And he is worthy of all honor, praise, and glory. And he will never let you down. He will never fail you. He will never uh, disappoint you. Jesus always comes through. And to understand our passage that we're going to talk about today, there's a couple things you have to know about the Old Testament. We are studying the book of Hebrews on Sunday mornings, and uh, we are talking about how Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than all. He is greater than everything. We've talked about how Jesus was greater than Moses. Uh, we talked about how Jesus is, was just like us. Uh, he was tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. Uh, we talked about how uh, Jesus is our friend. We talked about how Jesus is Lord. We've talked about how Jesus is superior to angels. And today we're going to talk about how Jesus is our high priest. 
And you may be thinking to yourself, boring. Not at all. There's some really cool stuff in this concept of Jesus being our high priest. Now, like I said, there's a couple things you have to understand about the Old Testament and the high priest system. Uh, in order to understand today's passage. The first is uh, that there was a high priest. Uh, Aaron, Moses' brother, was the first high priest over Israel. And the high priest uh, was someone who went between God and humanity. Uh, The high priest was someone who uh, offered praises to to God, offered uh, offerings to God, offered sacrifices to God. That was the job of the high priest. And so uh, the, the high priest on, on the Day of Atonement every year had a very special job. Uh, the high priest on the Day of Atonement would come and he would offer three sacrifices. The first sacrifice was for himself. He would sacrifice a bull. So he'd sacrifice the bull for his own sins to have his sins forgiven. And then he could enter into the most holy place in the temple in order to offer a sacrifice for the priests He would offer two goats as sacrifices. The first goat sacrifice was for all the priests of Israel. The priests of Israel came from the tribe of Levi. And so the Levites would have their sins forgiven by God when the first goat sacrifice was offered. And then they would offer a second goat sacrifice. And this one is kind of kind of like a poor goat moment because they would offer the second goat sacrifice they would take a goat outside the city and then the the priest the high priest would take and heap all the sins of israel onto this goat and they would lead the goat out into the wilderness and then they would push him off a cliff there was no pita in those days so they would take the goat and they would just sorry i thought it was funny i thought it's kind of you know poor goat poor goat poor goat but that's how god prescribed the forgiveness of sins that all the sins would be heaped on the scapegoat and then they would throw the goat off the cliff so then all of the sins of the people would be forgiven now that is how the uh, that was the job of the high priest and let me tell you what Y'all ought to be very glad that our forgiveness is no longer contingent upon a preacher uh, offering sacrifices because that's just icky and y'all would be in big trouble. All right, I'm just telling you right now, y'all would be in huge trouble if you had to rely on me to offer sacrifices on your behalf. Okay, Um, I have a wife who's a vegetarian and she would be like, you're getting a new job. Um, So you have the, the Levites... Uh, the priests come from the Levites. The high priest is the one who would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people to God, offer their offerings to God. Um, and then uh, we see here in our passage today, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through chapter 5, verse 10. Uh, and if you grab your Bible and turn there, we're going to talk a little bit about this passage for a little bit. Hebrews chapter 4. Starting at verse 14, we're going to go through chapter 5, verse 10. And if you didn't bring a Bible, if you can grab one out of the pew in front of you, it's on page 848. You can find it in the chair in front of you. Page 848 in the Bible in the chair. Let's start in Hebrews 4, 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. That is so important that Jesus was without sin. He was sinless. 
And when he uh, offered help himself as the sacrifice for our sins, he was a blameless, unblemished sacrifice. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people, like I said on the Day of Atonement. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And you may be wondering, who is this Melchizedek guy? Melchizedek was the king of Salem. And in Genesis chapter 14, we read about how Abraham met Melchizedek, the king of Salem. But not only was he the king of Salem, he was also the high priest of God. He was the high priest of God Almighty. Now, this is very interesting because, like I said, in, in the Jewish people, the, the priests came from the line of Levi. The kings came from the line of Judah. So in other words, you couldn't be both a Levite and a Judahite. You could not be both a priest and a king. Yet Melchizedek was a priest and a king. He was a high priest and a king. And when the Bible says that Jesus was a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, he himself is both priest and king. That he is our high priest, that he intercedes on our behalf. That he goes to the Father on our behalf. He offers, uh, he is our advocate. He is our, he's our defense attorney. That God is the judge. And Satan is our accuser. He's the prosecuting attorney. He is the one who accuses you before the Father. Jesus is your advocate. He is your defense attorney. And let me tell you, he's really good at his job. He is an excellent defense attorney. He is the best defense attorney you could ever have. And he is the one who, uh, when, uh, when you are accused, he is the one who defends you to the Father. He is the one who defends you to the judge. So Jesus is not only our great high priest offering sacrifices, uh, who sacrificed himself, who became the source of eternal salvation, as it says here in Hebrews chapter 5, that he became the source of eternal salvation for all who will obey him, that if you will put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you will repent from your sins, confess your faith and be baptized, your sins will be forgiven. You will find the source of eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. You will spend all of eternity with him forever and ever and ever and ever. I'm so excited we have a baptism here this morning. Uh, in our first service and so we're I'm, i, I kind of want to get through this so that we can get to that because that's like my favorite part of my job you know so but i but i want to talk a little bit more about this idea that jesus is our our priest he's the great high priest and he's also our king because see jesus is our high priest and he the bible says he was tempted in every way the notice that the first word in this passage is therefore 
back in chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, whenever you see that word therefore, it is always pointing back to a previous part. And it sometimes is the immediate context, but in this case, it's context that's even further back in chapter 2, verses 17 through chapter 3, verse 1. It says, for this reason, he had to be made like them, people, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Again, we've talked about this with the high priest and his job to make atonement for the sins of the people. Only Jesus didn't offer a sacrifice of animal. He made a sacrifice of himself. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, Fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Jesus is our high priest. He is our mediator. He is the one who goes between humanity and God. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, it says, There is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. That Jesus offered himself up as our atoning sacrifice. Jesus gave himself up for us. And he is our mediator. He is the one who goes between God and humanity. And he is, like I said, he is our defense attorney. He is the one who defends us when the, when the, when the enemy accuses us. That when, when God says, when we stand before him one day, we'll stand before him and he is our judge. And he will judge us for everything we've ever done. For every sin we've ever committed, for every word out of our mouths, for every action in our lives, for every, every thought in our heads, we will be judged for all of them. And for the Christian, the judgment will be not guilty. Because Jesus is our defense attorney. He is our advocate. He is our mediator. He is the one who defends us against the accusations. But if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you do not know the salvation that He has secured for you, if you do not know Him as your Savior, if He is not your defense attorney, if he is not your high priest, if he is not your mediator, then the only thing left for you is God's judgment and wrath. I read a very interesting article yesterday about God's wrath. For the Christian, there is no more wrath. For the Christian, God poured out his wrath on his son on the cross. That Jesus took the full force, the full brunt of God's wrath against sin on the cross. But for those who are outside of Christ, for those who don't know Jesus as Savior, there is only one thing left for them, and that is judgment and wrath. That the full wrath of God will be unleashed upon those who don't know Jesus. And my friends, this should scare us uh, to, our, to the very core of our being because we know people. We know people who don't know Jesus. And we can just, you know, wink at it and go, oh, you know, it'll all work out in the end. No, it won't. If people die in their sins apart from knowing Christ, if people die in their sins and don't know Jesus as their Savior, they will spend eternity separated from God in hell. And we can't let that happen, can we? No, we must not let that happen. 
And so if, if, if you know people who don't know Jesus, you've got to tell them. Because the t- time is running out. Every day we are one day closer to the return of Christ. Every day we are one day closer to the return of Jesus. And when he comes back, time will be no more. When he comes back, there will be no more opportunities And I know it sounds exclusive, and I know it doesn't sound very politically correct, and I know that it someday may get me thrown into prison. I don't care. Because unless we tell people about Jesus, they will never hear. At the very least, invite them to come to worship. Say, you should come check out my church. It's awesome. I love my church, and I hope you love your church. Invite people to come check it out. Say, you will not be bored. It is not lame. It's pretty awesome. And I think you should come check it out. Because you've got to hear about this Jesus. You've got to hear about this high priest who, offers, who offered himself as a sacrifice for your sins. You've got to hear about this high priest who intercedes, who wants to intercede for you before the Father. Like I said in, 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 Second Timothy, in 1 Timothy 2, there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Jesus died for everybody. He died for the sins of the whole world. And unless people hear this incredible message, unless they hear this incredible good news, they'll never believe. And if they never believe, they'll never be saved. And if they're not saved, they don't go to heaven. And we can't let that happen. Jesus is our high priest. And let me tell you what that means. It means you don't need anybody else. You don't need a mediator. You don't need to confess your sins to a preacher or to a minister or to a priest. You, the Bible says to confess our sins to one another so that we can hold each other accountable. That we confess our sins to God. One of the coolest things about when Jesus died is that there was a, a, a curtain, a thick, heavy curtain between the outer part of the temple and the most holy place. Only the priest, the high priest, could go into the most holy place. And only once a year, when Jesus died, the curtain, that thick, heavy curtain, was torn in two from top to bottom. In other words, some human being couldn't run in there and cut it with a knife and rip it from bottom to top. It was torn by God from top to bottom, meaning that you and me, we have access to the Father through Jesus Christ. You don't need someone. You don't need to go to anybody else to be your advocate. You don't need to go to anybody else to be your mediator. You don't need to go to anybody else to offer your prayers to. You don't need to go to anybody else to offer your offerings to. You can go straight to the Father through Jesus the Son. You can go straight to God Because Jesus made that possible. He is your great high priest. You don't need another human agent. You don't need another human being. Alright? Does that make sense? You don't need anybody else. You need Jesus. He is your great high priest. And not only is he your great high priest, but he is also your king. The Bible says that he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the great king. And like I said, in the order of Melchizedek, who was both priest and king, Jesus is our great high priest and he is our king. Which means we submit to him. We submit to him in everything. That we surrender our lives to him. 
We obey him in everything. He became the source of eternal salvation for all those who will obey him. He, will, he is our source of eternal salvation. We do not have to fear this king. We worship our king. Think about what happens when you go into the presence of a king. If you were to meet the king of England, I know, or queen of England, there's no king in England right now. Anyway, uh, but if you were to meet a, a king, how would you act? How would you respond? Your majesty, right? Something like that. I mean, you'd be respectful. You would be reverent. You would be in awe of, of this person's power, of this person's position. This is how we should be when we come into the presence of Jesus, our King. That when we come together on a Sunday morning, we should come together in reverence and in awe. Yes, we have a celebration of Jesus, but in our hearts should be reverence. There should be awe and respect. For He is our great High Priest and He is our King. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the only one truly worthy of worship. That we worship Him alone. We praise Him alone. For He has conquered death. He has conquered sin. He has conquered the grave. And He has won for us eternal salvation. I want to read a passage from Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. It says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare his, even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? There is nothing that you can separate you. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is yours in Christ Jesus, your great high priest and your great king. There is nothing, because when we look into the face of Jesus, we see our advocate, we see our defense attorney, we see our great high priest, and we see our king. We see our savior. We see our friend. We see the one who died for us, who gave his life for us. And as it says in Hebrews, we can approach him with confidence, not with fear and trembling, not not in terror, Not in in abject fear and terror, but in confidence we can come before him because he loves us. He loves you and he loves me and he loves every single one of us and we can approach him in confidence. His throne of grace, the Bible calls it. His throne of grace we can approach in confidence and we know that we will find both mercy and grace 
when we do that. And it is all made possible because of Jesus, our great high priest and king.